Well, good morning, everyone. I must say, I do already feel very welcome and at home here. And I suppose I shouldn't be surprised because we are family. We're brothers and sisters. It's just me nice to meet a few more of the family today. And um, I hope that uh, I can just cheer you on in the amazing work that you're doing here um, and uh, stir you up to more love and good deeds. Um, I just share a little bit of um, the journey that Karina and I have been on that will give you a context for what I'm going to say. And um, it was about 20 years ago that uh, we were you know, junior members, really, of a leadership team in our church, which was kind of on the edge of the city. It was a comfortable, middle-class, white church, you know, ticking along quite nicely. And it came to our attention that people were arriving in the center of our city from all parts of the Middle East. These were nations that, when we were students, we had prayed for those nations which were unreached with the gospel. And to our astonishment, they had, in God's economy, they were arriving right in our city. And we thought, who is going to reach out to these people and welcome them and share the love of Jesus with them? And then we had this niggling feeling that perhaps we needed to be part of the answer to that prayer. So we gathered a few people together, and a little bit like hobbits venturing out of the shire, we set forth into the city center. We actually moved house with our young family, and uh, God launched us into an adventure that we are still exploring and enjoying today. We really knew nothing about working among Muslim people, and we knew nothing about working with asylum seekers and refugees, but we were learning fast. And uh, during that time, I suppose we thought maybe there would be one particular people group that God would lead us to, and we'd try and learn a bit of their language and plant a church among them. But what actually happened was that people began to come to faith from Iraq, from Iran, from Afghanistan, from Eritrea. It was astonishing to me that it wasn't it was astonishing that they were coming to faith at all. I thought it was going to take years of hard work, but these were people who were hungry to know about the, the gospel, to know the love of God in Jesus. They were looking for something different. But it was also astonishing to me that it wasn't just one people. That, they were quite happy to gather together, and we, we sort of opened our home, and we had shared meals, and it was like the United Nations. Uh, it was bewildering and great fun. And then after about nine years of this, the new pastor who'd come to take on the sending church, our mother church, he had a sense that God wanted the whole church to look like the city we were in. And he said, would you consider bringing this little community that we'd started back into the mother church, the sending church? And we felt it was the right thing to do. We'll give it a go. And so the whole church then began to experience all the disruption that goes with welcoming different cultures and people from different faith backgrounds into what had been a fairly steady church existence to that point. But it was a glorious disruption, and we have gone from being probably about 97% white British to more than 50% United Nations, and less than half of us now would be white British. And we're delighted because of the richness and the life that that has brought to us and the growth that we're seeing. Every month we're baptizing people. Most of those would be from a Muslim background. I never thought we would see the day. We recently thought we would 
dust down the Alpha course. We hadn't used the Alpha course for a few years, and we invited people to come. And to our astonishment, the first one we did, we had over 70 people, and half of whom were sort of, um, from Iran and Iraq, and then the Cantonese Hong Kong group wanted to do an Alpha course. And so oh, this year, we've seen 150 people so far go through Alpha, and we're just launching another one. And it's like God is saying, wake up. There is a harvest if we will only reach out and welcome people. Now, I just want to encourage you. It's just wonderful, even just this morning, hearing about the work that is going on as you're reaching out into your community to serve and to bless. Things like your international meeting point. I love the sound of your international meal that you're going to have. We, can we borrow Yolanda to come and do one of those? <laughs> she sounds amazing. <laughs> um, but I also recognize that this journey is sacrificial because I suppose we all kind of like church to be done our way, the way that we think is normal. And as we accommodate those with different cultures and backgrounds, we realize that church isn't going to be the way it used to be. And that can be costly. I think we're actually, I'm realizing I've completely forgotten to move our slides on. Here we go. So this was our little congregation that gathered, well, it wasn't really a congregation, it was like an extended family in our home way back in um, the sort of early 2000s. The choice that we were faced with, I think, as we began to welcome those who'd arrived in our city was we could sort of segregate. And actually, in some ways, that's what happened because we were working hard to provide groups in different languages to disciple those who'd come from Iran or um, the Kurds or the Afghans who are with us. And that was great at one level, but once they'd formed little community groups within the church, they would all sit together and then they'd meet together during the week. And We'd sort of say good morning on a Sunday, but that was about the extent of the relationship that there was between us. And we began to feel that this isn't God's best. And some people were saying to us, are we always going to be the internationals, the outsiders? When do we become part of the family? And another option that some churches adopt is that you just assimilate people. You say, this is how we do church. If you like it, you're very welcome. Come and join in people, in effect, sort of leave their own distinct culture and heritage at the door and just try and fit in with what's already established. Again, I don't believe that is God's best. And what we're working to do and what we're trying to encourage through Intercultural Churches UK is a culture of integration where we receive the the gift of God that you bring with your culture and heritage. And you will help us to know God in a fuller way, because you see things in the Scriptures, you see things of God that we miss. And as we learn together and receive the gift that one another brings, we're all built up and blessed through that. So those are the choices that we're facing. And uh, I want us just to reflect on that little story that we heard read earlier. It's such a simple, short story that we can always read over it and move on without noticing what an explosive story it is. It should be really shocking to us. We read that, so we're in Matthew 12, verse 46. It says, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to talk to him. Well, you'd have thought that's a very innocent request, and surely he was going to interrupt his his preaching or whatever was going on, and give some time and attention to his dear mum and his brothers who'd come to see him. 
But instead, as the person comes to him and says, your mother and brothers are outside wanting to talk to you, he says, who are my mother and my brothers? That should be a shocking response. And then he points to his disciples and says, these are my mother and my brothers. And in case we hadn't got the message, he clarifies and says, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my mother, my brothers, and my sisters. It's interesting, he, he's including sisters in that group there who are presumably gathered in, in the home. You could imagine them there. I've, I think this is a picture taken from The Chosen, probably, which kind of brings it all to life a bit, doesn't it? And uh, there would have been people crammed inside the house, the people that Jesus had called to walk with him, to learn from him. And as uh, if you've been watching that series, The Chosen, they make very clear is these people were very different from one another. They didn't get along very well. And uh, Jesus had to spend so much time sorting out the differences of opinion and attitudes between this little band of disciples. And then there was a wider crowd who were looking in. And his mum and brothers were on the outside. And Jesus was saying, this little group of disciples is more family to me than my own family. And they're all quite different from one another. And of course, as we see the story expand and the group of disciples begins to grow, and then the mission grows beyond Israel to the nations, and yet that message continues on through the generations. These are my mother and my brothers and my sisters. You see, this was actually God's plan all along. We read about it at the very beginning of the story when God calls Abraham and he creates the, the first family of God. And God's promise to Abraham was, I'll bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All nations on earth are going to be included in this family of Abraham. This was always God's plan. And then the story gets picked up by Isaiah with this amazing promise that God gives to him. You can move that on. There we go. And Isaiah has this message from the Lord. I will also bless the foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord. I'll bring them to my holy mountain of Jerusalem and I'll fill them with joy in my house of prayer. I will accept their burnt offerings and sacrifices because my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Now, by the time Jesus arrived on the scene, it's as though the Jews had kind of forgotten that bit about the all nations. And he goes into the courts, the outer courts of the temple, and there's no room for any nations there because it's full of all these stalls of the money changers and all the animals for the sacrifices. And I think this is when we see Jesus at his most stirred up and angry. And he says, and as he drives out, the, the animals, and he turns over the tables in that outer court. He says, this was meant to be a house of prayer for all nations. That was why Solomon built this great big courtyard, massive courtyard around the temple, so that the nations of the world could come together with the people of God and meet with the King of Kings. And so we get to the day of Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit is poured out on the disciples 
And we know what happens. There are people there from all around the known world, all around Jerusalem and the Mediterranean and into Syria and North Africa. And they're all speaking the praises of God in their different languages. And the church is born. And we read that the movement shifts from the temple and the synagogue into homes. And they begin to meet in one another's houses. I love this verse in Ephesians, which, uh, where Paul writes, He came and preached peace to you who were far away. He also preached peace to those who were near. Through Christ, we both come to the Father by the power of one Holy Spirit. So you are no longer outsiders and strangers. You're citizens together with God's people. You are also members of God's family. Who? All of us, all included as members of God's family. And they met in homes. And that's how the church began to grow and multiply out into Europe and across the known world, meeting as brothers and sisters from different nations, different cultures, slave and free, in homes, being family. I'm excited that you're doing a study through the book of Revelation because this is where we see the story come to its most beautiful climax and conclusion. And uh, there's this vision that God gives John. He says, here is the new song that they sang. And he has this vision of the people of God gathered around the throne of God. And they're singing, you are worthy to take the scroll and to break open its seals. You are worthy because you were put to death. And with your blood, you bought people for God. They come from every tribe and people and nation, no matter what language they speak. You have made them members of a royal family. You have made them priests to serve our God, and they will rule on the earth. Now, becoming a sort of multicultural or intercultural people is not just a sort of good social project. It's not just a church growth strategy. I am convinced that actually this was what Jesus shed his blood for. He paid the ultimate price to win for himself a bride from every tribe and people and language and nation. It's a blood of Jesus issue that we welcome people into our church family and that we are willing to adapt and make whatever sacrifice it requires to be a foretaste of this heavenly reality that John had that glimpse of. But it's not just the blood of Jesus issue, it's a glory of God issue. Because he writes there that you, with your blood you bought people for God. He's presenting us as his offering to the Father, a people one from all nations, from many different faith backgrounds who have found salvation through the blood of Jesus, and we're presented as a worship offering to God. It's for His glory in the earth. I believe that the devil, Satan, really wants to oppose the work that you are embarked upon because he hates the glory of God, and he wants to bring division wherever he can. He is the one who divides nations and tribes and peoples and brings warfare on earth. We are going against the grain of fallen human nature as we do this, but we are going in step with the work of the Holy Spirit. This is the direction he's taking us on. So if we feel it's costly at times, this was 
worth the price. It was what Jesus paid for with his own blood. John Piper writes, it is all aiming at the all-satisfying, everlasting, God-centered, Christ-exalting experience of many cultured worship. I just love that. This is where it's all heading. All the nations coming to God in unity and bringing their worship to the Father, which is why I'm such a fan of what these guys are doing with Songs to Serve. They're teaching us to worship together, to honor one another's language and culture as we come to the Father in worship, as we experience that foretaste of heaven. And yes, it's going to be messy. George Verwer, who recently passed away, used to speak of the work of mission as messiology. I love that, messiology, because it gets messy. And, uh, and yet it's also heavenly. We had a wonderful moment on our Sunday service a few months ago when the worship leaders began to teach us, began to sing the song, God is so good, that very simple little song. And he said, if you would like to come to the microphone and sing that in your language, come up to the front. And I thought maybe three or four people might come. Well, a queue began to form. <laughs> and uh, the singing went on for about 10 minutes. I had no idea we had so many languages. I wonder what would happen here. But uh, we had so many languages, and it was a sort of goosebump, holy moment for us. The church is still talking about it now because we felt as though we just touched something of heavenly worship as we did that. So we're called to be a family. And when we baptize people from other nations on a Sunday morning, I love to say, look around. This is your family you've been baptized into. Have a look around now. This is your family. These are your brothers and sisters. What a wonderful, diverse mix we are. But sometimes I have a slight heaviness of heart because I think, are we really being family? Do we really know one another's names or the names of each other's children? Do we actually eat together in each other's homes? Are we experiencing the pain of one another's stories? It's pretty easy to gather for a Sunday morning, or maybe even every now and then to have a shared meal together, which is great, don't get me wrong. But I've been challenged recently that we're just scratching the surface of what it means to really be family together. One of the things we've been experimenting with is we've invited some of those who we feel could perhaps lead home groups from different cultures to meet together. We just meet together on a Friday night for food in each other's homes, and we talk about what would it look like to lead an intercultural home group. And it always starts with a conversation about culture, whether it's, why did you arrive half an hour before the set time we were going to meet? Because we were just getting the house tidy and you've arrived. And they're, oh, it's because we wanted to help. Or why have you arrived half an hour late? Well, we thought it'd be rude to arrive bang on time. And, and all these little issues. And I, did, did you take your shoes off? Did you not take your shoes off? And how do we... It's great fun. A, a vivid image of, um, I'm not sure I've got a picture of it here. Oh, yes, there we are. There's my friend on that photo on the right. Puya is from Iran. He's Kurdish, and he's teaching our friend Kola from Nigeria how to use the chopsticks that we'd been given by the Hong Kong family who were hosting us. It was just such a wonderful moment. Um, and we're learning together how to be family and I think it's when you're in each other's homes eating together that really get into that. And you hear each other's stories and you pray for one another. So, 
as we listen to those stories, I think it also softens our hearts. I'm, I've only lived abroad just for a few years, but Karina and I were part of a church planting team in Estonia, and um, I suddenly realized what it really means to be a foreigner. You suddenly feel like you're just a toddler again. You're having to ask for help for everything. You're struggling to express yourself at all in this new language. You don't get the jokes. Everything needs help. And um, I think God has called us all to be exiles and strangers. That's the language that Peter uses in his first letter. He says, he writes his letter saying, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces. And later in that first chapter, he says, live as outsiders during your time here. You see, we're all citizens of heaven, really. That's home. And we're supposed to, all of us, experience life here a little bit on the margins as exiles and outsiders. And we can learn that from our brothers and sisters who've arrived here. If you're not from Northern Ireland, you can teach us what it means to live as an exile because our family is a heavenly family. So, as we kind of come into land, let me encourage you just to think for a moment. What would it mean for me to live out being really being family here in a deeper way. We're all seeking to do the will of our Father in heaven, and we all need each other's help. How am I doing? When did I last host someone from another culture in my home? When did I ask somebody to tell me their story? What was life like where you grew up? Have I asked people the names of their family members? Have I prayed with them for them? Maybe we could just this week take one small step of love towards those from another culture. And then the following week, let's take another one. I think it's all about lots of small steps. This is a long-term journey we're on as we adapt. But it's a journey that will be so rich with blessing. Jesus says... We, you, are the light of the world, the salt of the earth. And I believe as we work out how to live together in unity as brothers and sisters, and as we experience God's blessing on us as we do that, then the world will be looking in and saying, how do they do that? See how they love one another. And it will draw many more to say, who is this Jesus who has drawn the nations together and who's so glorified among them. So can I pray for you as you continue on this journey? I just want to cheer you on and uh, pray for God's blessing. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that as you look on us, you don't just call us followers or believers, you call us brothers and sisters. What an honor to be included in your family. And Lord, as we ponder that thought, we also recognize that that means those on each side of us sitting here today are also our brothers and sisters. Help us to love one another well, to accept one another just as you've accepted us. And I want to pray for this church family here at Windsor Baptist that they would be a beacon of hope 
in this city of how the nations can live together in harmony. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much.